This podcast is presented by MIQ, an award-winning programmatic media partner for marketers and agencies. Learn more about MIQ's exciting business problem-solving solutions at weareMIQ.com slash ATV. That's W-E-A-R-E-M-I-Q dot com slash ATV. This week on Nexty Media, I spoke with Adam Schlachter. He's the head of marketing, strategic, and brand partnerships at Niantic, the company you probably know for Pokemon Go. While Niantic is in the gaming business, it's really becoming a platform for publishers and developers to build AR experiences for just about everything. Live events, shopping, and of course, entertainment. Adam talks about how brands are leaning into this space today and what some of the obstacles the category faces before it becomes truly mainstream. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Next in Media in partnership with BTV. I'm here with Adam Schlachter. He's the head of marketing, strategic, and brand partnerships at Niantic. Hey, Adam. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm pumped to talk to you because it sounds like it's good timing. You're heading out to a couple different big events for your company, um, and there's, it's such, such an interesting time in, in this space. Prob- you probably get tired of this because probably people probably know the company f- for Pokemon Go, or maybe they don't know the company at all. They just know the, that, big, that brand, but there's a lot to it. Why don't you kind of give us the, what is Niantic? And then we'll get into what is your role? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, and to your point, great timing. Yeah, we are uh, gearing up for a whole series of events over the next few weeks uh, you know, to, to bring the Niantic story to life in a whole bunch of new ways for a whole bunch of different audiences. Uh, for the developer community uh, at AWE. Uh, in Santa Clara next week, uh, where we talk about you know, the changing, emerging, immersive world and uh, all the different things powering it. Uh, we're going to be uh, the week after at Summer Games Fest in LA talking uh, with a lot of folks across the gaming community and industry uh, and showcasing uh, our titles and uh, a lot of new features uh, that we're building into them. Uh, and then a group of us are going to Ken Lyons uh, to bring all this tech to the brand and agency and creative world, uh, to help drive more inspiration for all the things that can be created to, uh, not just build new AR experiences, but to use AR to, you know, augment marketing, uh, and, uh, augment the entire plan, the whole experience, not just, uh, you know, a gimmick, not just a one-off, not just, a uh, a sort of line item, uh, on a plan. And, uh, if uh, if if we continue to have the success that we've had and the way that the company's evolved, I think uh, we'll continue to power so many different facets um, of uh, of the AR space. Um, Sounds like so you're going to owe your wife one after this month. I uh, and yeah, my family is <laughs> not happy with me, uh, but they never are. Right, there better um, be a big summer coming up for them. <laughs> <laughs> Once I'm done right. traveling, yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, but to to answer you know, your first question, I, I think. Niantic is uh, very much known for the success we've had with Pokemon Go, uh, which uh, is is about seven years old, uh, if you can believe which it. Which is crazy. It is crazy. And I think we all remember that moment, right, when people are rushing through the streets in Central Park and trying to, you know, uh, capture uh, Charizard or Pikachu or uh, just mobs of people uh, gravitating towards something that doesn't seem like it's it's not there, but in front of your phone, it very much is. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
that moment was how we gamified the world. And I, when we think about where we've come from then, uh, it's, it's really just an evolution on all of these grand experiments uh, that, that we've been working on uh, in the spirit of uh, mapping the world, which is how all this got started when the company was founded inside of Google after uh, John Hankey, our CEO and the founding team, uh, mapped the earth and built Google Earth and then Google Maps and then all of the different sort of iterations just just that series of that yeah just that small thing <laughs> that, that we often right. take for granted um and once they were done mapping the physical world they got started mapping the digital world the world all around us that you can't see with the naked eye but it's all of that information it's all of those uh experiences it's all of those points of interest all of those uh different things that you can get outside and explore and discover and connect with and share with other people um you know, it's our mission to get people outside exploring the world together and using technology as a means of enabling that in a means of enhancing that uh in bettering it and it started you know, very much with games because the easiest thing to do is turn a map into a game board sure and use it as a means of getting people out and giving them clues and giving them tips and programming content to uh, get them get them going, get them exploring, um, and, and to get them sharing, right. As, as, as much as, uh, a lot of people probably like to say they're not a gamer, uh, you know, ultimately we're all gamers. We're all playing games of some sort. Um, everyone loves a game like experience. We just might all go about it differently. And, you know, in some cases when people play Pokemon Go, they might not even think of it, uh, as a game, as much as they think of it as a world that they're in or as a world that is now in, in theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're very much, uh, an augmented reality company. Uh, and you know, we have a platform, uh, and, and technology that is all about, uh, powering augmented reality experiences in the real world. And yes, it started with games because that is the sort of first thesis and kind of proof point. And if you could use that as a means of, uh, you know, testing and learning and experimenting and figuring out like what motivates people to get out and do these things, what motivates them to keep coming back, um, what creates new habits and new behaviors. And you can start to replicate that in other titles and other IP and other experiences. And also then give that technology to people to populate the ecosystem with their own experiences. Um, suddenly it, it, it really changes the landscape, uh, of possibilities and also uh, changes the the shape of of our business, um, so we're not just a publisher of games, and we're not just a publisher of experiences, but we're a platform that enables. That's what I was going to ask things. you. How do you make that distinction, or how do you help help people understand that that you're not just like there are lots of companies that make a series of gaming titles and that they're very successful, but you're you're, you're aspire to be a platform. What's the, what? Is, why is that distinction important? And what is that? How does that manifest itself? I think it it comes down to what we want to be known for. Uh, and if we want to, you know, get millions and millions of people out, uh, and exploring the world and, and, and contributing to how we map and scan the world around us, contributing to the content that can be discovered, uh, by other people, um, and by other, uh, generations and by, uh, you know, people that are maybe not playing any game, but they're discovering something through some other means. If you want to do that, you can't um, just publish uh, titles. 
um, and you have to find a way that connects them all. You have to find a through line, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that creates some sort of connective tissue amongst these different experiences and makes them easier to discover, to move through, um, to, uh, again, to contribute to, um, and to kind of play or experience or, or participate in, um, somewhat on your own terms. So it's not one size fits all. Um, and even with regards to how people play Pokemon Go or any of any of the other games that we've published, um, it's also not one size fits all. Yes, there's a game loop yeah. and there's there's a and there's a means of you know, leveling up and uh, some challenges and tasks that you know you should accomplish to continue to improve your gameplay and and um, to achieve more and unlock more through it. But not everyone plays the same way. Uh, sure. Not everyone plays with the same. Uh, you know, the same vigor or the same dedication. Some people are more casual, some people are more hardcore. Um, some people get together and meet up and play in real life. Uh, and again, these are real world games. We're very much about getting people to use the world, uh, you know, as, yep. as, as, as this, uh, this, this game board. So I think for us, in order to scale that, as big as Pokemon Go is still to this day, you know, millions and millions of people playing around the world every day, um, and yeah, seasonally, as it's nicer out, I look outside and it's sure. gorgeous out in New York City. That makes people sense. Are, it's a great Pokemon Go day. Playing, right? It's, yeah. What's, what's the weather like? It's, it's raining Pokemon. Um, <laughs> but as, as we've looked at and published other titles, um, you know, maybe some that haven't had that same cultural phenomenon, um, but they appeal to lots of different people, to different generations, to fans of different genres, um, it gives people a, more reasons to get out and explore. It gives them uh, more things to experience. It gives them more th things to think about for where the world's going. And, you know, right now it's very much eyes down through our phones and eventually it's going to be eyes up through things like smart glasses yeah. uh, and other wearables and other platforms that we think will enable an even better, uh, more immersive uh, set of experiences. And again, if you provide a platform for people, uh, you know, to build on top of, to, to sort of power an ecosystem and give them the tools, give them the technology, give them the know-how um, by partnering with them, by licensing it to them, by, by maybe co-developing things together. And we're experimenting with all these different models uh, for partnership. You know, we think it gives us an edge uh, because we've got great proof of concept in the games that we've published uh, or in the experiences that we've developed um, and it's still the early innings. So by taking all of that underlying tech and creating, you know, a suite of tools or suite of products with it that people can go build on top of, we think it can be, uh, you know, really advantageous, uh, in terms of like what we want to inspire people to do. I want to, I want to ask you about some of your other titles, but, um, in terms of Pokemon Go, you know, I, I do remember seven years ago when, when that popped and every brand, every agency was like, what do we do about this? Do we need to have our own version? Do we need to get in the game? What what are brands doing these days? Like, What are, what are some good examples and maybe some some how brands are using this or local, local businesses or anything like that? I think when that moment happens and we're all in that moment, it's the first thing that you do is what what can we do? How do we build our own? How do we, how do we get involved? Like no one wants to miss you know, those sort of, uh, cultural milestones, but you can't plan for them. Uh, right. And what we found, uh, especially with brands that exist in the physical world, retail brands, brands with, um, physical locations, um, they're already on the map. And if the game board is the map, 
when you go out and play Pokemon Go or or NBA All World or or now Peridot or or newest title, um, and you go look at at the map, it has points of interest um, all over that are meant for you to go and explore and interact and maybe um, through that interaction you'll unlock something that is game related. Um, you might unlock something that's game related that's also a real world reward, whether that's uh, you know a dollar off on a uh, an iced coffee that afternoon at certain locations, you know, of your favorite local coffee shop or you know, your favorite restaurant for an afternoon break because you're hungry while you're out playing, um, or just some means of, you know, getting people engaged in the world around them. It's like these places exist. So if you're out playing our players and we've surveyed them on this, you know, number of times, they expect that there's going to be some interaction they can have with. It's all part you know, of it. It's all part of it. Right. So they don't even see it as advertising as much. Um, and it's not right. Traditionally, it doesn't feel like an ad. Yes, it's promotional when we integrate brand messaging into the games, but it's all in service of the gameplay. Right. So if I can create a moment that someone can, you know, go and spin a pokey stop that happens to also be a Starbucks, um, and Starbucks can capitalize on that at a time of day or a day of the week or a different season with different promotional messaging, um, we found time and again it drives people in uh to make purchases you know two-thirds of people that engage uh go in and spend real money uh you know we've seen i think upwards of 80 or 90 percent of people stop to engage in these real world points of interest because it's just expected um so even if you don't get rewarded with something to go in uh and shop that's like offer driven you still might go in because it's right there and mm -hmm. we've kind of you know triggered a little bit of that behavior um, we've, we've certainly found ways to, you know, reward people for that behavior in the game. Um, if we could thread that needle by continuing, you know, to, to close that loop with them, uh, in store, uh, it's even more rewarding. It's even more memorable. Uh, it's even more something that they're going to look forward to doing again and again, and maybe talking about, uh, and we think that's where there's been from the beginning, a lot of success with brands. Um, but that's just one you know, example, and, and in our world, because again, it's played out in the world, um, it's the easiest way to think about it. Um, in some cases, you know, when we've partnered with brands in ways that might not seem as obvious because they don't have a retail presence, um, that doesn't mean that they can't still be part of the fabric of the game through uh, through avatars or branded items. You know, we've done a number of uh, partnerships with um, uh, folks like JD Sport and Nike with... Uh, uh, we did a capsule, a uh, virtual capsule with uh, uh, the North Face and Gucci um, a while back that emulated the physical collection that they had in their stores that we were able to release to our players as a virtual item uh, to outfit oh, their cool. trainer and outfit. Yeah. And it, and, and it, you know, it, it blends that physical and digital world even more so uh, than when you're just out playing. Because again, you might, if you're not seeing, you know, a Pokemon in 3D or a character in 3D in front of you, um, is that augmented reality? Well, you're still following a map that's leading mm -hmm. you to different places to do different things that you're engaging with virtually in the physical world. It's all AR. It's just a matter of how does it manifest? So even when brands say, well, I don't have 3D assets or, uh, you know, like we haven't experimented with that yet, you kind of remind them it's it's not as... The, the barrier to entry isn't as high as you might think, uh, but it depends on what kind of uh, experience you want to deliver. 
you know, how immersive do you want to be? Is there something you want someone to virtually try on? And we've seen that from, you know, the snaps of the world for, for a number of years now where, sure. you know, we've gotten conditioned to use face filters or, uh, you know, different lenses to change our appearance. And that's all AR, right? right. It might be a lower fidelity, lower touch. Um, certainly they found ways to make it easier to build these things and scale them um, somewhat infinitely. Uh, but they're also tailored to different experiences. Um, and whether that's communication, whether it's live entertainment, whether that's gaming, you know, there's all these other places where the tech fits. So again, going back to moving from a publisher of experiences to a platform that powers all of them, and we recognize that there's so many different ways brands can enable this technology uh, to enhance an experience. And that could be everything from extending your out-of-home campaign, you know, like a flat billboard, a physical uh, poster on a bus shelter or, uh, you, know, um, you know, something that's sort of street-based that might have a location associated with it, right? Um, that exists in the real world that you might want someone to spend more than just a passing moment walking by and if they can scan that, maybe there's a QR code on it. Maybe the image is, is um, programmed to be trained to open your uh, browser up and, and have something fantastic and magical. So you really complement other media. Exactly. So you could complement it. You could extend it. You could actually create a full experience that even a digital billboard, even those immersive ones that you might have seen in like Times Square or in Tokyo and Seoul uh, that are 3D and have things coming at you without glasses and without a phone. Um, what if I wanted to immerse someone even further in that and get them to scan it and, uh, you know, have a companion experience or have something that takes them deeper into a commerce, uh, you know, environment, uh, because that brand doesn't have a physical store or that brand mm -hmm. wants to capture you and, and engage with you and then get you to a physical store. There's lots of ways we can do that by extending media. Um, there's lots of ways we can do that at live events. Uh, one of our uh, first commercial partners um, for our Lightship platform, which is our uh, AR platform, uh, was Coachella. And we did a lot of work with them last year and again this year to augment the festival. So if you go to Coachella or just about any music festival- As I festival, do. I'm, I'm at as, Coachella. What do I do? You, well, one, you need a great outfit. Right. Uh, so we'll help you there. Uh, I think two, I'm good right now. But... <laughs> we'll get you a flower crown. And, uh, yep. But you download an app. The app gives you a schedule, it gives you, you know, uh, digital payments because maybe it's cashless at the festival. It, it gives you uh, a map to navigate the fairgrounds. And as you're kind of planning out your day, you can also go around and scan different uh, objects. There's all this like physical artwork, these installations around the, the festival grounds that if you scan them using the app, using the camera on the app, uh, we power that experience. Uh, they call it the Coachellaverse. Um, and things come to life you know, big animations and 3D and, you know, colors and different, uh, uh, you know, things come out and, and are like right in front of you, larger than life in a very immersive, re hyper-realistic way that creates another moment for you to have at the festival. Another sort of point where you might see a bunch of people pointing their camera at the sky or something and you're wondering what's going on and you want to miss it. Mm -hmm. Another moment that can be captured and shared socially. Um, just another sort of, thing to experience uh beyond the music and that's a pretty natural behavior for young people these days like i, I you know I'm, I'm not living in concerts like i like i once did but like i'm imagining if you're growing up i'd snap at other or other devices you're used to interacting with apps like this 
Exactly. And, and your expectation is I'm going to scan something and something fantastic is going to happen or something's going to happen. And it right. might be that it's, it might be that it's, um, you know, very lightweight. It might be that it's, uh, it might be a trailer that plays. It might be something that's animated. Uh, it depends. And it comes down to, well, what is that brand? What is that, uh, uh, event? What is that agency or creator? What are they trying to actually do? What behavior do they want to create or capture, capitalize on? Um, what moment do they want people to experience? And can this technology enable that? Can it make it better? Can it make it easier? Can it make it more impactful? Um, can it make it, can it make a real impression? You know, if I put my planner hat back on and mm -hmm. I know we were planners a long time ago, right? But yeah, we'd always think Full about- Full disclosure, Adam and I worked together years ago at the same agency. We're, 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 we're we were both young, so it was very recent, but yes. Very recent, just just not too long ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think about, you know, all those plans you would build and, and the, the impressions you're trying to make. Mm -hmm. um, but oftentimes we didn't know the creative, we didn't know the, you know, the campaign. We, we just knew we had to be in the right place in front of the right people. Well, now I can be in front of people in so many different ways um, and in so many non-traditional, non-expected ways commercial environments that I can deliver uh, an experience or a, an ad or a message, whatever it might be, um, through this technology that, that can make it feel, one, more appropriate for the environment that they're in, two, a lot more fun when it's mm -hmm. done well and when it's done right, um, and three, a lot more fulfilling because it goes from a sort of passive impression being made to a more active one. and when you know a lot of my focus is sharing our story and and our capabilities with brands with agencies with other partners so they can start to think about how working with us can help enhance everything else they're doing can be a part of the fabric of what they're doing can transcend um, all of these other experiences that they might be uh, orchestrating or creating or sponsoring or or, or thinking about planning around um, because that's part of their strategy that's you know part of uh you know a, a repeatable renewable scalable thing that they do the sustainable uh programming that they do year on year out but they're always mm -hmm. looking for ways to evolve it um and we think a lot of the work that brands have done with ar thus far um uh, particularly on our platform um it's just scratching the surface of what's possible um and that and that's what's exciting because there's so much that's happening the upside is humongous it's humongous and we've we've worked with hundreds and hundreds of brands uh in every category in every market um around the world uh you know our our, our web ar technology so the the ar platform has a couple components we have uh things that you could build there much more lightweight um using a platform called eighth wall that we acquired a little over a year ago uh and it's called web ar because it's accessed through a web browser so if you snap a qr code or an image target or even just go to a link you can open up an experience that is 3D, that is immersive, that is interactive, that has all the same features uh, that could be location-based, uh, time-based, programmed in a number of ways, um, all the same features as on the rest of the platform, uh, but you'll need an app. You don't need to download anything. You just need to sort of allow permissions uh, for your camera and uh, maybe your location, depending on the experience. And So that it takes a ton of friction out. Takes a ton of friction out, and it makes it so much easier to distribute, so much easier to to develop and to build. It's almost like 
I liken it uh, to the days of the early days of rich media and uh, you know what Point Roll and iBlaster and all those companies were doing to take a digital ad and make it more than an animated GIF. Yeah. Um, so by la- by adding layers of interactivity to a traditional experience that if you scan and open it, something magical 3D happens, um, we found that there's a whole variety of ways you could do that. Again, powering out of home, powering you know, companion to print or even TV, or just uh, doing things that are standalone, you know, that are distributed in in other ways. And that can be gamified. You can put, you know, get someone on a scavenger hunt. Uh, that can be, uh, you know, focused on things like virtual try-ons. That can be focused on, uh, you know, other personalized sort of customized uh, elements of, uh, you know, different products like change changing colors, changing backgrounds, again, using things that we know um, and are familiar with from other platforms because they're filters, they're lenses, they're things that we're kind of comfortable with. But what if you could take it further? What if I can augment something that isn't, you know, fixed, you know, on a wall, but can be a portal that I can sort of enter into? What if it's something where using our semantic segmentation engine, I can tell the difference between the horizon, you know, the sky versus the tree line versus versus the grass, and something can actually move in a more amorphous way than just have to be fixed at a certain location where I could just kind of like walk around it. And it depends on the instance, right? If I'm trying to get someone to have like a virtual tour of a car, well, I want it to be fixed and manipulated in a certain way, um, and I want that to be easy for someone to navigate around and you know just uh, you know sort of enough for them to to get that feel where it, it, it feels real um mm-hmm. but there are certain tenants of the tech that you know you have to uh master to do that right because you have to think about size and scale right you have to think about how does that fit you know in my living room versus uh if i'm outside you know there's a lot of different uh you know things that, that we've built in and also a lot of different ways that we consult with brands and agencies and creators to uh, make sure that they understand what's possible, that we understand what their goals are, and that we can help them use the technology to the best of their ability and the best of uh, you know the features that we've built to create a really awesome experience. And we've done that thousands of times over the past couple of years. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's actually quite remarkable because when you think about the advent of this technology, no, it's not brand new. And we've been at it. And again, we've been developing this. If you go back to when the company was founded 11 years ago, we've been experimenting ever since. So we are the sure. pioneers in the space. Um, but showing people that practical um, use case for it now, you know, for it today. And it doesn't have to be buying into a specific game. That's where probably a lot of people get hung up on. Correct. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, MIQ. Joining me today is Lara Kane, Global Head of Product at MIQ to talk about supply path optimization in CTV. Thanks for joining me today, Lara. Thanks for having me, Mike. So supply path optimization is a very hot topic right now, but for those who may be unfamiliar, can you explain how SPO is different when talking about CTV? Yeah, definitely. In CTV, SPO is a lot more about setting up the right access points and optimizing economic relationships with publishers versus in web environments where we see SPO be more about duplication and avoiding intermediaries. Buying at CTV through the right access points is super critical for safety, suitability, transparency, and also comes with benefits like better pricing and performance. One big strategy we've taken to ensure this at MIQ is we don't buy off-the-shelf DSP deal libraries. Instead, we've built our own marketplace, a series of deals from preferred SSP partners and high-value pubs that we've mapped through to all of our DSP seats. And why is that? 
Yeah, so purchasing through first-party marketplaces allows to better control for price, for one, but also manage things like CTV content transparency, priority, and pod position. This is because publishers often carve out certain portions of their supply to make available to generic DSP deals, and they'll cover out different inventory slices uh, for deals where they have more direct communication with buyers. By setting up our own marketplace, we have access to more premium and efficient inventory across all the markets and platforms we buy through, helping our clients in turn have access to all the publishers they need for a diversified media plan. Fascinating stuff, Laura. Thanks. Where can folks learn more? Please visit our website at wearemiq.com backslash ATV. Thanks again for joining us, Laura. Thanks, Mike. I want to make sure I cover off some of the other games because because we mentioned you're, you're originally sure. known or so well in the Pokemon. What are, I know you showed off at the new fronts or the play fronts, I should, I should say. There was a a basketball real world game. I've, I've, you've shown me a uh, golf game. Talk about some of the other the other the projects you've been worked on and, and game wise and what what brands can do or have done. Sure. So we launched NBA All World, which is a partnership we have with the NBA uh, earlier this year. Um, and it's, it's meant to be, it's, it's not a, we talked about this at Playfronts, it's not a simulation game, uh, like 2K or, you know, any of the console-based games. It's a, it's a lifestyle game. It's people that are enamored with the basketball lifestyle and culture, again, getting them out in the real world, teaming up with some of their favorite players, beating them in different skills, drills, and competitions, outfitting them in all the gear from, you know, sneakers to jerseys to accessories. And it's, it's kind of a different take on basketball culture and, and hoop culture and what we think people love about it um, is that they're having a different experience than they're having when they're, you know, creating a dynasty and being like a GM or a coach, yeah. you know, playing a console-based game. And again, it's played in the real world. So the same thing, the map is the game board. Get out in your local neighborhood. And, you know, when you um, pass by uh, a bank, you can get currency you know, by uh, interacting when you pass by, like anything that might sell food, you get your, like your energy uh, and so on. And, you know, as we've talked to brands about how to integrate and be part of the game, you know, the natural things are, well, you've got courts that can be branded. You've got merch sure. that, that, you know, we work with all the major, uh, you know, footwear and apparel manufacturers. And if they have a physical shoe that they're dropping, we can drop a virtual version of it and get people out like looking for it, you know, because sneaker culture and basketball culture have such a strong crossover, but you think about the possibilities um, of these virtual goods maybe having similar physical attributes that could boost your player, make them faster, jump higher, better on defense, whatever that might be. Um, and that keeps people interested. It gets them excited. Um, over time, you can start thinking about, well, how can I go from dropping something virtual to physical? Um, how can I? How can I actually do it in in the opposite way of what's expected. And, you know, these are the kind of experiments that we get to talk about with brands. Like, well, ultimately, what do you want to do? Do you want to build, you know, a broader community? Do you want to reach, you know, a younger audience for some of these games? Do you want to reach a more general audience for some of these things? And, um, you know, what, what are your goals and how can we help you meet them? Uh, with uh, our latest game, uh, Peridot, which is a, a, it's like an AR Tamagotchi. Is how we think about it. Okay, and it's a virtual pet simulator, and those are uh, you know, really big and popular, especially with younger audiences, uh, that millennial Gen Z cohort. Um, mm -hmm. But also with folks like us who are maybe a little bit older and grew up with things like Tamagotchi or, or Neopets, and we have that nostalgia for you know raising and nurturing a virtual pet, and now I can do that in AR 
Um, and the game is is just wild because it, while it has some of the same core tenants from a navigation standpoint, using the map to get out and uh, you know discover new things, it's activity based. Um, you have to raise something that needs to be walked, that needs okay. to go for, forage <laughs> for food, and if and it and it could recognize again through the segmentation uh, engine that, that we have uh, the difference between grass and cement or trees and plants uh, versus grass or water you know, versus skyline. And as such, um, your dot can do a lot of different things. Uh, if you're by uh, you know, water, it'll take a swim you know, and it'll get some exercise and it'll That's grow hilarious. as a result of it, right? If you're uh, by you know, a grassy area, it's going to forage for food and certain items that will only be discoverable in certain environments versus others. And again, we can program, uh, you know, different ways, uh, you know, for, for, uh, brands to be a part of that experience, whether it's through like accessories, uh, or branded items, um, or physical locations that maybe will help you earn more experience points or whatever it might be. Right. So there's, there's a whole you know, number of ways that brands can be involved, but what's unique about Peridot, um, is it's all in AR. So much like when you open Snap to the camera, it's like when you open Peridot, you are on a scene okay. where, where your dot is waiting for you. Uh, and maybe it's hungry, maybe it's tired, maybe it wants to so be they're, they're not just elements of AR, it is, it is fully immersive AR. Fully yeah. immersive AR. And you know what's interesting about that is it's the first kind of manifestation of all of this tech of the platform in a consumer-like experience. Um, and it uses generative AI to create the dots. So the, when you raise, when you, you start the game, you hatch your very own dot. Uh, they are all one of one. Uh, we've used uh, Gen AI to power that and create an infinite number uh, oh, that's of, cool. of dots. Yeah, based off a, a set of you know archetypes and characteristics and traits. And as more dots are hatched, and then you raise them you know, to sort of adulthood and then release them, uh, more are created and they'll breed and they'll create new dots to hatch and so on. And it's sort of this crazy endless world. That is nuts. Right. And, um, what we're really proud about and excited about is it's giving people a kind of look into what we think the next gen AR experiences are going to be, because it's very much built for, uh, a glasses world, like a hands-free world. Yeah. And this is a, this is a companion that will always this be is just your get, side. getting ready for that moment. That's right. And we're not there yet, but this is evidence of, I think, where it's going really soon. Uh, and that's really exciting. Where, where is the industry overall? This is probably hard to answer in terms of AR because you had, you've had a lot, of, you had a lot of hype for VR. Maybe we weren't ready. Then the metaverse exploded and that's kind of fallen behind. AR is, definitely being adopted by consumers clearly like is the industry ready to for this this moment you're talking about that's coming or and i'm asking i guess about brands and platforms where are they in the level levels of readiness i think we're at a place where again it's still early because the technology continues to improve uh, every single day certainly year on year as you see new devices released and you see new hardware uh new chipsets um that are so much more advanced and can process things uh, much better. Uh, the advent of 5G and the sort of you know, broader distribution uh, of of high speed, low latency networks um, help uh, help us render these incredible, realistic 3D immersive experiences that you can't do on 
the previous generation of technology as well. Um, and as such, I think the industry is, especially with um, all the AI hype and craze right now and how much that's just going to accelerate things even faster, I think the industry is is looking towards where we're going um, and companies like ours and platforms like ours that have been building to this moment, but for what's ultimately going to be th this next moment where the tech kind of disappears in the background and it creates more moments, it creates more opportunity, it creates more um, personalized experiences uh, because it's going to be smarter, because it's going to be, you know, more interwoven, uh, you know, into our lives. And the savvy brands are the ones experimenting now and that have been experimenting, right? Yeah. And, you know, we talk to folks all the time. We're like, you should try this with everyone. Um, fi you know, figure out what works best for you. Is it virtual try-ons? Is it uh, creating, you know, live experiences? Is it localizing things um, you know, that are anchored to different, you know, physical locations? It, is it all of that? Um, and we think it's going to transcend so many different categories from live events to retail to uh, health and wellness, uh, travel, education. There's there's so many different uh, possibilities. I do think VR certainly has a role, um, but when you put on an Oculus or any sort of VR headset, you're transported to another place, and sometimes that's not a comfortable feeling for a lot it's of a people. It's a totally different use case. It really is. Or a very distinctive one. Completely different. And it definitely has its place. You know, there's some fantastic games. Uh, there are tons of advances, I think, being made in medicine, um, in training, and simulation of different experiences. And I think that's wonderful. Is that going to be mainstream and mass and scale in the way that an iPhone or an Android device is? And there's billions of smartphones out yeah. there. And, and some people are carrying two at a time. Well, our tech is compatible with billions of smartphones. So when I think about the scale opportunity, and again, this goes back to being more of a platform where you could distribute this technology right. to make it accessible anywhere and everywhere. Um, that's an advantage that we have. And I think, when, again, when we talk to brands and we talk about experimentation and we talk about trying a lot of different things, um, we also make sure that they're aware that anything we do with us can be distributed anywhere. Um, right. So I, I think the market is figuring out the role. Uh, it probably started with a little bit of experimentation and maybe some gimmicks with lenses and filters. And that's been a few years of people getting comfortable and, and figuring out that that's something that works for them or doesn't work for them or some version of it is you know going to be something that they plan for. Um, ultimately, when we talk about augmented reality to brands, uh, we talk about augmenting all their marketing, enriching the entire experience. And that doesn't mean not doing just everything. one other thing. It's like, a, right. it's like it was something weaved throughout. Right. So but that doesn't also doesn't mean doing everything because not everything's going to be appropriate, but find ways, find beats. Where can this start to be an expectation, whether it's in promotion, whether it's uh, at retail through product discovery and engagement, maybe that's for loyalty um, as people uh, have a physical product or, or, or um, you know, something at home that they can further engage with and you can foster like a different relationship with them. Um, is that going from virtual goods to physical goods and enabling that? Um, there's a lot of possibilities, but standardizing those use cases, 
you know, making sure that they sort of cascade throughout a category, whether that's the CPG space uh, or the retail space or the QSR space. Um, you know, like that's kind of what's happening next is people are now comfortable and now they're figuring out how does this stuff fit into everything that I do? How do I start to plan for it? Um, how do I have the creative and production savvy and skill set? Who are my partners to build this uh, uh, technology, to, to build on this technology, to build these experiences with me? Um, what kind of data do I want to capture? I mean, there's a lot of things that are still being sorted out, but I think the savvy marketer is thinking about this stuff um, and calling folks like us to come in and consult with them and, and educate them and show them what's possible. Um, and that's not just because we've done so many hundreds or thousands of projects like we have. That's great. What are we planning for? What 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 are we going to do now? What are we going to do next? And if we can start to bring more brands into that conversation, and that's why we're going to all these places like AWE and South by and Cannes, uh, so we can help educate people and we can help spread the gospel and and show them what's possible and get them thinking about it in in new ways that maybe they've only dreamt of. Uh, but we know that their consumers are looking forward to. We know that uh, you know that next generation audience is going to be so much more comfortable with. We know that that next wave of hardware uh, innovation that's coming will make it more palatable and make it more realistic and make it even more accessible. Um, and that's that's super super exciting. But it's not yet at a place where it is uh, you know as commoditized. Uh, as traditional media and like that's okay because i think we have a yeah. lot more to figure out and there's a lot more potential for it and maybe it's never going to be as commoditized um but if we can start to again create these like more stable and and deeper use cases and you can start to automate some parts of uh, the production process you can start to templatize uh some things that doesn't make it feel like it's cookie cutter but it also makes it feel like you're not starting from scratch uh, we've got a project library where people can clone projects that they're inspired by to have a head start, right? So like we're already starting to uh, make it easier. Um, but the more turnkey that you can make these things, I think the more creativity you can unlock uh, and you know the richer the experiences will be. And you know, like I said about things like rich media, however long ago that was uh, for folks like us who saw it in its earliest forms all the way till now where, there's so much more automation and it's so much easier, so much more standardization. Uh, became part of the fabric of what we did. Yeah, exactly. It's just expected. And I think we're getting to yeah. that place where soon this will just be expected. Adam, fascinating stuff. We could talk about this forever, but I, I, I want to let you go. But thank you so much for your time here and great conversation. Yeah, it was awesome talking to you. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you soon. Good luck. Today's episode was brought to you by MIQ, an award-winning programmatic media partner for marketers and agencies. You can learn more about MIQ at wearemiq.com slash ATB. That's W-E-A-R-E-M-I-Q dot com slash ATV. Thanks again to my guest this week, Adam Schlachter of Niantic, my partners at MIQ, and my friends at BTV. If you like this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time for more on what's next in media.